prison and half can Oh God! Daddy, stay on your bike! Dude, burning and you don't want to turn around anymore and you know if somebody now attacks you're going to be like blown out of the water but you just go no i just keep going just keep going tied on the inside it's this solo on the barriers oh what about that now then everybody i am tom ramsey and welcome to the edge coaching podcast this podcast will provide a clear insight into the world of athletic performance and help provide a clear, relatable understanding into subject areas revolving training, nutrition, stress, psychology, and much, much more. Without further ado, let's begin. Good afternoon and welcome to episode number 70 of the Edge Coaching Podcast. In this episode, we invite James Roberts from Fit to Ride Bike Fitting on, where we'll talk about all things related to optimizing your position on the bike. James owns his own bike fit company, who are a specialist bike fit company based in Rippenden, in the heart of the Yorkshire Hills between Leeds and Manchester. And they are dedicated to delivering the highest quality of service tailored to the needs of the customer. The integration between bike and rider is a key component to cycling performance and is massively overlooked across all population. In this podcast, expect to learn the process behind finding the perfect bike fit, what James's take on finding the optimal crank length is, how to find your optimal saddle height, what most people are doing wrong with regards to bike fit, and much, much more. This was a very insightful conversation with James and I enjoyed it very much. He is a real down-to-earth character with a dreamy Yorkshire twang to his accent that I can really relate to very well. Welcome to the podcast, James Roberts. You know, uh, your legs are, are burning and you don't want to turn around anymore and you know if somebody now attacks, you're going to be like blown out of the water but you just go, no, I just keep going, just keep going. James, how's it going? It's going well. How are you? How was the bike ride? Uh, it was good, yeah. I um, I literally kind of got back about 10 minutes ago. It wasn't ideal. <laughs> I um, I planned to be... I should have been back about 12 or 10 to 12, and I was back about 10 to 12. Um, but the missus is off on maternity leave mm. and um How's all that I, going? and yeah good to be fair thank you very much um but she like when i'm doing a podcast we always kind of agree that she's going to get out of the house so there's no you know background noise no Sorry. distractions um anyway she left the house but left me without a key to get in <laughs> so <laughs> i turned up the house like we've all, we've all been there yeah yeah and uh anyway i rang her she was at the other side of town so then i had to sprint back to the other side of town to the play park that she was at get the key come back and so on um but luckily i had some overnight oats in the fridge that i grabbed and chugged on them while i got a quick shower and yeah made it in time <laughs> and here we are right yeah that's it so James, um, 
I've never met you one to one before. I don't think. Anyway. No, 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 I don't um, think so. No. So, who is James Roberts, um, and what do you do? Um, so I'm James Roberts. I'm a bike fitter. Um, I live in Rippenden, which is not a million miles away from you down the M62 in West Yorkshire. Um, and I do a, fit bikes, ride bikes, enjoy bikes, passionate about bikes. Um, yeah, that's me, really. How long have you been doing bike fitting for? So I started, um, I think it'll be, 10, it'll be 10 years ago at the beginning of next year. So, yeah, I've seen a, seen a few bikes in that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and how old are you, James? <laughs> I am 51 years old, which... Uh, I can't quite believe some days, to be honest. But yeah, we, we've we've got here, we've got here somehow. But um, yeah. So, I've... from a bike fitter's perspective, fairly late to start, I guess. You know, starting at roughly forty years of age. So, yeah. Look, I think. Look, I've always been. So I'm because I'm fifty-one. I kind of grew up in the BMX craze. You know. Mm-hmm. Um. So it was BMX. Then it was. Then I kind of got hooked on the aesthetics of road cycling 1980s um you know greg lamont stephen roach all that stuff um and then mountain biking 1990s and then back to road and kind of so there's a lot of cycling being done in that time um and i've kind of yeah, it's a, it's a, it, life takes life takes a strange path sometimes, and mm. you, I my career path is not what what, what is probably considered conventional for what I do now. But um, here we are, because you know, I when I went to uh, university in New York, um, did a degree, nothing to do with bikes. Um, worked in a bike shop um, for two, three years, maybe. Which bike um, shop did you work in? I worked at York Cycle Works, which you oh, probably right. know. Cause I, yeah. yeah, I do. Um, and it's and they're still there. I think there's probably mm. one person there who's surviving from when I was there. Um, mm. And then I went off and did what I'd probably always intended to do, which was become a journalist. So I spent 20-odd years working in regional press. Um, right. And then kind of towards probably about yeah 11 10 11 years ago I, I started to transition away from that and did some trading and started to put all the things i'd learned fixing my fixing myself into kind of trying to fix other people and mm-hmm. and that's gradually moved into a it's kind of morphed into a what's now a full-time job mm-hmm. so uh when you worked at york cycle works then were you involved uh, so no. roughly how well how old were you then then early 20s mid 20s but it oh, was right. um but look by i think back then this was 90 when did i leave there 98 right um, yeah, you know yeah. by, by this was kind of pre i think cycle fit were probably going but probably not under that name hmm. uh there was sarota was doing stuff in the us um i remember we used to we i, I remember we once did a custom frame build using bio racer measurements which was a system which was that was probably the first first numbers driven system the bio race stuff it was all based on anthropometric data and they kind of spout some numbers and here's your custom frame mm. um but yeah fit wasn't a thing then fit right. wasn't a thing then so but... so when you started um bike fitting so that was 
straight in you know you, you didn't have when you first I, started you didn't do much beforehand i well i kind of i think you know so i was 40 years old so i've been riding road bikes for quite a long time by mm. then and you kind of you know you, you 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 experience issues you try and fix issues you learn things you put bits of information together and you kind of you know you you, you try and come up with functional solutions um i at that time cycle fit was still offering you know that was probably the best training that you could get so i went mm. and I, I did a week did a week in london uh cycle fit um and then yes that just started on a very very small like basically one day a week you know part-time basis um mm. and then you start it's a bit like driving you you, you pass your test and then you start to learn so what um I'll let you, I'll give you time to sip your drink. <laughs> I don't want to just like bombard you with questions. Um, so who's James Roberts when they're not involved with bike fitting then? So do you do, uh, do you still ride at the minute or, and, and what kind of stuff do you ride? I, I ride as much as I can, which is probably not as much as I would hmm. like, which is a familiar, familiar refrain to hmm. most people I speak to. Um, I ride road bikes, don't race, um, done very, very small amounts of racing a long time ago with no success whatsoever because I'm completely without talent. Um, but I do, I, I love the bike, love riding, um, socially, sometimes for effort, sometimes fitness, health, all that stuff. But yeah, I'm on the mm -hmm. bike. I try to do 10 hours a week. Um, mm -hmm. At the moment, am I hitting 10 hours a week? Probably not. But that's that's always the target, kind of year round, right? And are you a family man? You got, you, you, I think you yeah. mentioned the thing. You got a couple of kids, or yeah, we've got two, yeah, we've got two children, uh, slightly overweight cat, wife, um, elderly mother, all the usual things, mm. <laughs> all the usual things that come with fifty-one years on earth. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's kind of yeah, you know, and, and and work fits. Well, the good thing about working for yourself, which mm. I'm sure I'm sure you appreciate, is that you can fit all that stuff around your work or fit your work yeah. around the other stuff. And yeah, so it's all um, try and find some balance. That's that's, that's the key. Yeah. Yeah. So um I initially came across you from your Instagram page, um, which credit to you looks incredibly professional. I like I really like I don't know if you've got a you know, a, a professional no, just, photographer that comes in. I, I um, do. I, I do have a couple of photographers who help me. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's some really nice looking shots in there, and um, and one of the first thing that stood out is um, uh, just the the kind of people who you've been doing bike fits for. Um, so I mean, I, I appreciate you'll work with a whole range of different uh, different athletes. Um. But there's some pretty big names on there that you've done fits for. Um, so I've noticed Rob Scott is the familiar face on there. Um, Damien Clayton, Harry Tanfield, you know, these are all in the British scene, some incredible races. Um, and I get the impression that they've come to you like, a, you know, a few different times and, you know, refine their fit as well. Um, so making a bit of a, a name for yourself in terms of your, your quality of service. Um, how was That's it working right. with those kind of those kind of athletes? I think it's look because it, you're right because that's it's a spectrum and I think mm. if you put you know if you put you know kind of top end bike racing at one end and whatever you whatever you can imagine at the other I kind of deal with all everything you know mm. um, so it's not and probably the 
I, I get because of because of what I enjoy about cycling and because I, I like I love watching bike racing. Um, I get a lot of satisfaction from doing those from doing those fits um, mm. and from working with those people. Um, but I, I probably get just as much satisfaction from helping someone who's not been able to ride to be able to ride again. Mm. Um, but I think look the the basic premises and the basic process and the basic principles are the same mm. whichever end of that spectrum you're at uh, obviously when you're and you'll know this when you're working with elite athletes the the, the you know the detail becomes far more important because you, you're dealing with someone's livelihood mm. um so your decision making needs to be refined and on point i suppose mm. So I'm going to say something from the very start, um, because a lot of people will be listening to this podcast and thinking, well, Tom, you do bike fits. So is there not a conflict of interest here? So first of all, like I'll explain my my thoughts and my decisions on taking you on this podcast. Um, I would say from the outside looking in that your bike fit is a lot more in depth um, and a lot more um precise than mine um with mine it's an hour to an hour and a half we go through some fairly basic procedures take some very basic angles and then ask for subjective feedback on the athlete and then based on many different parameters like you know there there, there you go i don't really look at um specific cleat alignment um and make sure it's there thereabouts um, I don't really look at, uh, footbeds, which I think you do. Um, yeah, I, do, yeah. I don't really look at, um, choosing specific crank lengths to suit this individual athlete. Um, and yeah, for, for, for anyone who is interested, like mine, my, my service is a hundred quid and, you know, for anyone who hasn't got a good bike fit, it will get you, I would argue 90 to 95% of the way. Um, now, the difference is, I would argue, um, and this is a bit of a seller for your product, that your service will get, get you more or less 100% of the way, no matter what level of cyclist you are. And, and you've got the, the time and the knowledge to spend, you know, that, 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 to go over those intricacies and, and to make sure that everything's covered. Um, so do you want to go through... Let's start by going through your bike fit process. So, like the 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 general shebang in terms of how long it typically takes and what processes you go through to get the optimal position. I think. Well, you you can't. You typically uh, look. I allow four hours for an appointment. Do I take wow. four hours? Normally, not um, anywhere between two and a half and three and a half. Normally, um, I think. Look, there are only so many ways. I think whichever whichever school of fitting you come from and whichever kind of you know whatever your priorities are there are only so many ways that you can kind of slice and dice the order of business you know so it's so i suspect what i do is probably not dissimilar to what you do in the sense that you know i, I broadly in my head i split into two halves so the mm -hmm. first half is about gathering information and then the second half is about making adjustments and experimenting and trying things and trying to try to get the result that you want Mm -hmm. um and that first half is a conversation um with the rider it's a look at the rider's physiology and then it's a look at the rider on the bike 
you know, and that that gives you a sense of direction for the second half and a kind of sense of priority for you know the things that you're trying to the things that you're trying to improve. Um, now what now what we do within the process may be different, um, and I think when I started, um, you know, it was very much you know the, the kind of the cycle fit school, and that was you know it, it's kind of it's new old school, I suppose. It's it's a it's a bit of angles. It's some more holistic stuff, um, but it's it was based very much when I started on the structure of measurement. You know, because I think when you start and you've and you've seen ten bikes and not, you know, I don't know, thousands, mm. um, you, you need that structure to to kind of build your build your process around. Um, and I'm probably and over the years it's and it's not a not there's not been a light bulb moment and there's not been a sudden change of direction but over the years you see you see things and you learn things and you start and i've and i've probably built a process now that's mine um and it's probably it's probably not it's not numbers driven um mm. it's holistic um and it's driven it's based around a search for balance a search for stability a search for quality movement and a search for the best connection with the bike that you can give someone um mm. and if we're honest those are things that are very very difficult to put numbers to mm. and they're very very difficult to measure objectively and mm. we're living in it we're living in an age where everyone wants precision and data-driven information and they want things to be proved um and i think you know, there are there are certainly some things when you put a human being on a bike and you start to you start to move them about and you start to seek you know experiment a little bit. There are certainly some things that you can't prove in data in a fit studio, mm. um, and it becomes a kind of evolutionary process really. And I think all the you know those riders that you mentioned, you know, their the positions that they're in, you know, cer certainly. Damien, certainly Jake Scott, um, who's at Black Sport now. Um, you know, those have evolved over those have evolved over a period of years and I think they've probably got to a point now where, where we're happy with where we are in terms of the basic space and the kind of you know you know, we've got something that we know works for them and then it does become about we we know where the millimetre line is where you, you go past that line and you and you tip over into into something that's less productive. Mm. You know. Um mm. But it's yeah, holistic process based around all those things rather than what your knee angle is. Yeah, yeah, and and I know like you know, <clears throat> ten years ago, um, like I say, a lot of these fit fit system were based on anthropometric measurements, and and that only really, they didn't you know they considered somebody's leg length and and torso length. Um, they didn't consider, for example how much they sit at a desk for their job and the amount of thoracic mobility and and the amount of kind of pelvic tilt that they can that they can get in without causing discomfort and so on um i mean you know one thing that i see a lot of at my end of the spectrum with a lot of bike fits that i do is individuals who it's probably my you know my most common bike fit individuals who buy a ridiculously expensive superbike um but they have a desk job 
and they don't do any other exercise apart from a couple of Zwift sessions midweek and then a long ride at a weekend. No off the bike strength and conditioning, nothing else. Um, and quite honestly, you know, they, their body is not designed for the position that you want to get on this bike or that, that would be suitable for this bike. So a lot of my work actually, you know, is is making these bikes more comfortable, uh, less aggressive, more sat up, uh, and 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 quite frankly, put in a position which you know would potentially affect the handling of the bike and so on, um, just so that this individual can actually ride without pain. Um, but often, you know, with with the bike fits that I do, a lot of it is actually you know homework. So it's like, okay, well, this is what we'll leave with today but the reality is that you need to be doing this kind of stuff at home to try and improve this fit uh for the long term so you have um you know you're talking about you know people like uh damien and, and rob scott uh that, that that come to you like a, a couple of times or a few times down the way like i mean there must be very small changes along on along the way is that because you've given them stuff to work on or is that because they're changing kind of um changing bike manufacturers or i think that de definitely the latter you know i think that if you i think every well regardless of who you are you know you change shoes change your saddle you change your bike you change your bars you know especially the stuff when it's you know because obviously the reality of being a sponsored athlete is that you don't get to choose you know it's like here here repairs here repairs shimano 902s and it doesn't matter if they fit you or not you're going to ride a tour de france in them um and i think it's you know sometimes it's about compromising those or working out the best mitigation for the things that that don't work or it's about fine-tuning the fine-tuning positions for new bikes new bars new cleats you know new pedal system new saddle um but it is you know it's all, look everyone it's always an evolution because even if the athlete's static then product is changing mm. you know and the, the solution you know, if you came to me you come to me at york cycle works in 1998 before bike fit was a thing and said i'm getting terrible numbness on the saddle then it's mm. well can't do anything about that because there's no yeah. there's no product to, there isn't a product solution and now yeah. there is a product solution for pretty much everything and mm. and and is the product i'm using now the product that i'll be using in five years time mm. probably not because there'll be something else which will hopefully be better and hopefully take us forward in the step you know and i think that mm. the industry is evolving the right the body's always evolving um but it's interesting when you talk about you, know, you talk about the off bike stuff you know the reality is that no matter how good your position on the bike is um you know it's a, we're dealing with you're dealing with a hip hinge you're dealing with a whole series of lunges um but you're dealing with a partial hip extension and a partial knee extension and if you just ride your bike and sit at your desk and sit in your car then for, for all the things that the bike gives you you're going to be losing something else and i think it's important no matter who you are whether you're riding once a week or whether you're you know racing uci races that you do stuff off the bike to mitigate mm. the effects of being on the bike because uh, and i won't claim credit for this phrase but um if if sitting is the new smoking then the bad news mm. is that bike riding is just more sitting mm. yeah that makes sense yeah sure. 
and I think you know mitigation, minimal, you know, your minimal requirement is that you stretch. Mm. Post ride, minimal mm. um, yoga, S and C, with with ideally with supervision. You know, and mm. I, I'm not a strength and conditioning coach, but I have a strength and conditioning coach that I recommend to people, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and who helps me out, helps me with my knowledge. Um, but I think, yeah, just you know, if you want to get the best out of your bike riding, there's a, a the bigger point is that do something other than just riding bikes. Mm. Do you do any um before the individual gets on the bike for your bike fits? You know, that initial first half of gathering information. Do you do any um actually like hands-on tests of mobility and strength before they get on the bike? I, I don't really look at strength specifically but i do look at but look at mobility you know look at look at foot stability uh look at pelvic alignment look at hip mobility look at hamstrings just all the usual you know range of movement stuff Mm -hmm. internal rotation external rotation you know posture all that yeah you know Mm -hmm. just just to try and build the picture and And is there any major red flags that come up then like what are the (laughs) uh what are the kind of main kind of um inhibiting factors that you that you look for to say oh you know this is really going to compromise things i think look going back to this smoking sitting is the new smoking i I think it's the stuff that that that, and you see this i'm 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 pretty sure from what you've said you know it's it's the stuff that that comes as a result of sitting down too much Mm. You know, poor glute activation, tight hips, you know, tight hamstrings, inability to hinge. Mm. You know, and I think when you, you know, when you put someone on a bike, to, to, and especially if it's a race bike, and especially if you try to make, you know, put the rider in a position where they can make themselves small, you know, and and aerodynamic and, and produce force, then you have to be able to hinge. If you're getting to the front of the bike by just flexing your spine, then sooner or later, unfortunately, bad things are probably going to happen. Um, whether that's in terms of comfort or in terms of performance or in terms of injury, but you know the, the hinge is important. And mm. I, I don't, you know, no, no one I have ever, have ever met has been to a has been to a bike shop, um, and the bit the buying the you know the SL7 or the you know the Amanda or whatever it is, and the and the, the, the shop assistant has kind of said, "Can you hinge?" Because hmm. people don't people don't know that they are meant to hinge. Hmm. Um, but if you if you try to get to the front of a race bike, that's what you need to be able to do. Hmm. And for some riders, you know, I know, you know if, if you've been on my Instagram, you'll see Rob sat on his bike with his pelvis heavily rotated and his spine nice and neutral. And that, unfortunately, I can't claim credit for that because hmm. you could put. You could put Rob on a rusty tricycle, and he probably look good. Um, and that's <laughs> the kind, of, and I kind of file that under. I probably put all that stuff under the under the umbrella under the umbrella talent. You know, it's part of the it's part of the quality of the athlete. You know, the ability mm. to to move in that way, and the ability to ride the bike without compensation. You know that's mm. that's because in in the in the end that's you know what what, what am I trying to achieve at the start of, the, of, of a session? Then I'm trying to make the bike free of compensation. So you don't need to sit on the nose of the saddle. You don't need to drop your right hip. You don't need to move your hands back on the shifter slightly. You know all that stuff. 
um, and I'm trying to minimise the consequences that you get from riding the bike. You know, mm. so the, the tight hamstring or the tight left hip or, you know, the, the numb hand or the saddle sores on one side, all that stuff. Mm. Um, um, going back and um, looking at kind of from a more simplistic standpoint, I guess, um, if I was to ask you, why is a bike fit so important? So there'll be individuals listening to this where they've maybe only been cycling for a year, a couple of years, They've bought a bike. It fit. It feels there or thereabouts. You know, they've set a saddle height which they think is there. You know, more or less fine. But they've not looked at anything else. Um, and they've kind of macro adapted to that position, but they don't know if you know if it's right or wrong. Why is a bike fit so important? You know, why should they be looking at a fit? And um, is there any kind of telltale signs which kind of suggest that they should definitely get a bike fit? I think it's well. It, I think if you're starting out, then that is the time to get the fit because that gives you a platform to build from before the consequences and the compensations mm. kind of spiral out of control and you know become chronic, if you like. Um, I think it's very difficult. You know, I see people who probably. Oh, I feel fine on the bike. Yeah, no particular problems. But then when you start breaking it down and start giving them context around what the sensations are, you start asking specific questions about how they're interacting with the bike. You, you, the, you, well, you you know, and they quickly realise that actually it's not fine. But but it, but because you can't because they're feeling all those sensations in isolation, mm. they don't really you don't recognise it as being what it is. You know, you don't recognise it as being something that that you can improve. Um, I think if you, you know, when you're talking about competitive competitive rides and the, you know the kind of riders that come to you for performance coaching that are doing you know eight to eight to twenty hours a week, you know whatever it is, mm-hmm. whatever your training volume, you know if you look at the basic, and you're the coach, but if you look at the fundamentals of endurance training you know what makes you better at endurance sport well it's the ability to do more you know you you you, the main thing is that you can do more you know you can train 20 hours a week without having to stop without having to have a day off you know because you've got a saddle sore because you've got you know tight hamstring because you've got a tight calf you know all that stuff um and it's that removal of consequence again which which we come back to i think mm. um but I, I think when you spend looking in the, in the grand scheme of things with the way the bike industry has gone you know if you if you kind of dive in dive into a well-known online retailer and you, you know you can spend 15 15k on a bike quite easily now uh, yeah. a lot rather alarmingly um but if you you know, so why would you not spend a few hundred pounds on making sure that you're actually that you're actually sat properly on it, that you're mm. actually putting force in it, force into the bike in a way that makes sense, that mm. you're actually not, you know, that you are getting the best from it? Because you know, I, I don't see why that's why that's a difficult decision to be honest. No, my most most recent customer actually, um, it was a it was a a man and a woman who came initially for a bike fit for the woman 
Um, there were a couple and did a bike fit on the on the lady there, and she, um, we kind of yeah, we we found a lot of improvements from from her, um, and he was just there as like you know a witness and and there to kind of support her. And then uh, when I was going through certain things, like it got him thinking about his position. And then, you know, it was very nice because I got him to come in the, the following week. And, you know, he came in with that kind of mindset of, oh, yeah, my bike fits right. I just want a kind of peace of mind. I want, I want peace of mind. I've had the same fit for years. Yes. Feels right. It's fine. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, the changes that we made were quite substantial. Um, you know, he'd, he'd kind of adapted to this position which was so inferior um and and there's these telltale signs which you were suggesting you know sh shifting his hands back you know he was nearly always riding on the tops and and on the corner of the bars because he couldn't get to the levers you know so every time he had to break he had to move one hand to the, or two hands to the brake and then shift them back again he was always riding on the nose of the saddle and he said he always gets really uncomfortable position on the saddle and, and it digs in on his under, undercarriage. So, you know, some, some subtle adjustments. Um, his satellite was also too, too tall um, and he was rocking quite substantially on the saddle. So there's, you know, there, I mean, all of these parameters, the, these little things, you know, I think there was 10 mil here, 20 mil there. And afterwards, it was just like it's night and day difference. And 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 I think from a bike fitter's perspective, sometimes I mean you'll get it as well. Like sometimes you'll get a client in, and you're looking at the position, and you're looking at them, and you're thinking, ah, you know, I'm quite looking forward to this one because there's nothing obvious that's sticking out. But um, so it'll be quite a, a you know an intricate procedure to try and work out if there is anything that needs doing. But then sometimes some bikes come in and you look at them pedaling for two seconds and you can tell straight away that, you know, yeah. how have you dealt with that for so long without thinking something something's wrong, you know? Um, yeah, and, I think, uh, yeah. On the other end, like even worse than that as well, sorry to put it in, I had no. one, one athlete come in and their saddle, yeah, you probably had this over you, their saddle had like not been tight enough and slipped back on the rails. And it was literally as far back as it co could possibly be cut be and angled down and they hadn't noticed. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, it baffles me how, how someone wouldn't notice because uh, for me personally, like even a couple of mil difference off what I'm used to, it feels, it feels bizarre. But, but again, it's that, it's that, you know, it's when you've no perspective and no context yeah. and you don't know what you're meant to be you don't know what you're meant to be feeling you don't know what you should you know what what when you get on the bike what you're trying to do you yeah. know because even if you join look even if, even look when i when i started it was you know it was club riding and it was kind of you know people who are probably older than i am now telling you what to do and don't do this and don't do that and do this and don't you know uh, but i think even if you you know the even the kids now you know you, you, you kind of got to you know, you got to go ride sessions at you know seven, eight years old, and, the, and you go, you watch youth B, youth A, you know, juniors, and a lot of them, although they are very well coached in tech, in kind of cornering and descending and how to handle the bike, a lot of them still don't really know how they are trying to put force into the bike, mm. you know, and it's kind of uh, going back to that idea of talent. You know, I think when you put a human being on the bike, you 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 just put you put them on the bike, fasten them to the bike, and you, you present the body with a puzzle. Mm. And, I, and and the best athletes, 
you know, the best athletes fix that puzzle really, really well, just instinctively. It's not coached, it's just instinctive. If you've got less talent, then you perhaps fix it in different ways, you know, and then you kind of, and, and those, those are the ones where you can make quite a big difference because with a little bit of, a little bit of help with posture and how you actually, how, how are you trying to make this object go forward? You know, how mm. you try, how you try to move the pedal. And if you mm. can do all that stuff, then you can make quite a big difference quite easily. You know, and uh, I think, and, and I get satisfaction from those and I get satisfaction from the ones that where people can't ride and then you put them in a position where they can ride and you get those satisfaction from people winning races. Uh, and to be honest, if I had to pick one, I don't know which one I'd pick because I, I get I get the same kind of buzz from all those different scenarios, to be honest. Mm. Mm. What well, do you um you, you've mentioned that you don't really work off numbers um too much. Do you do anything with regards to like quantifying any um positive improvement that you find from from bike fit so for example those better athletes of yours who come in who do have power data um do you kind of get them to do any like pre or post testing or anything like that or is that not not really something that you cover i think well i suppose i've, I've worked with you know when i started i was certainly measuring that was that was the kind of that was the structure, you know, structure based around measurement. Um, and over the years, I've used some more high tech stuff, you know, motion sensor, motion sensor technology, and just try and, and bits of power stuff, and just trying to work out. And and I think the thing, you know, the thing that I've probably learned over that time is that most of the things that all the toys tell you. Um, you can actually see if we'd, we'd you know, I'd, I'd, at the moment I just use an, I use an iPad, slow motion, good old Apple, you know, high quality video capture, mm -hmm. you get all the angles, go anywhere you want with it. Um, and I think most of the stuff that the number, that the numbers on the screen from all that tech will tell you, you can actually see or the rider can tell you when. Mm. Oh. Um, and it's a bit like, I'd probably liken it to having a power meter. You know, I think I remember the first time I put a power meter on a bike. Um, and that's quite instructive because it, it kind of gives you perspective on your RPE, mm. you know? Um, but then when you take the power meter off, you still got the perspective on the RPE. And I think that's probably where I'm, where I've got to with tech because I don't, I'm not trying to make this sound arrogant really, but it, it, I think when you you see the same thing, mm. you know, when you, and when you see it, I, I, I know what it is quite a lot of the time and not always, and we don't always get things right. And there's certainly more than one way to do this mm. process and this job, um, which will probably give you satisfactory results. So, so my way is not the only way, but uh, I think when you've when you've used the tech and you've got the perspective that the tech gives you, then when you take the tech away, you've still got the perspective and the and and the, and you can see it. You know, yeah. you can see that this means this is happening. Mm. Um, and I've definitely had, you know, in terms of data, I've definitely had 
yeah, I've definitely had riders who've, you know, you know, racers who've come, you know, who've come to, you know, you, you kind of do a fit, you you make a you make a big change or or sometimes a small change, and then mm. three hours later you, they've, they've done the best ever twenty minute power, you know, and that and that mm. has happened a couple of times, but that is not, that is not necessarily commonplace. I think. Yeah. Look, if you if you're looking at output. Um, do you always get an improvement in output? Um, don't know, to be honest. Um, I think the, looking at output is probably, you know, what is probably, it's a relatively simplistic way of looking at what you're dealing with. Because I think, mm. you know, the way that I think about it is you, you're trying to maximise economy. You're mm. trying to maximise muscle recruitment. You're trying to maximise the way that they put force into the bike. Try, you know, and if you do all that stuff, then it means potentially that when you've when you've done six hours, you've got more power than you than you mm. had before. You know, or you, because you've not used as much energy. Mm. You know, and it, and that stuff is really really difficult mm. to quantify and to prove. Mm. Um, but I, I I did a fit for someone who's done quite a lot of big races and he it was and he'd had some he'd had some issues and it, it was it was pretty heavy in the front of the bike. Mm-hmm. You know, pretty heavy in the front of the bike. You know, quite a lot of weight going through through the hands, through the arms, through the shoulders, certainly at moderate intensity. And we kind of talked about it and he said, Well it's just comfort, isn't it? He kind of raised his eyebrows at me. I said, Yeah it is, but if you're if you think about why is it uncomfortable, well, it's because you're using energy to sustain your position. Mm. You know, you're using muscular structures to sustain your position on the bike. Mm. You know, um, so if you think about how that's how how much energy does that take out of the tank for hour six of the Tour of Flanders? You know, I can't prove that. I can't you can't mm. put a number to it? I can't, I'm sure there's some. If we had access to all the PhD knowledge in the world and all the scientific experts and technology, we could probably test it. But I think mm. it's very difficult to prove that. But you know, you, you're trying to make, you're trying to make again, you know, consequences of riding the bike. You try to minimise them, and 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 what do, and that looks, that looks different for everyone. But what what you're trying to get to is a point where. When you put force into the bike, you know, especially torque, the, the the bike doesn't intrude. The bike doesn't mm. start to crowd and close in on you. The bike disappears. You know, and it's you and your effort. That's what you. That's what you're chasing. Mm. You know, that feeling. That feeling of the bike not being there, mm. um, and that's that's the dream. And are the factors that are outside my control that can prevent that? Well, yeah, yeah, there are, and is it always possible? No, probably not. But that's that's the dream, and and mm. you do and you do get there, but it's not always easy to get there in three hours. And it's, I mean, you know, a lot of it's a feeling, isn't it? And a lot of it is. Uh, <clears throat> I mean, I don't know about you, but when I'm doing bike bike fit, I'm I'm constantly asking for this, you know, the subjective feedback of the of the individual, and any small adjustment I make. You know how does that feel you know does that feel better or worse than the previous one and and 
sometimes, you know, nine out of 10 times, they won't be able to tell me. Um, and they don't know how to describe the sensations a lot of the time. Um, but if they are in tune with the body, they, they can explain, you know, oh yeah, that gives me a better sensation at the bottom of the pedal stroke, or that means that, that feels I can get on top of the pedal a bit better and, and so on. Um, but yeah, for me, like, I mean, you know, I know when I'm in the right position because it just feels like a fluid motion. It just feels just feels comfortable and it feels like there's no nothing fighting against it. It's where I want to be sat. Um, but also, you know, you were saying about data and stuff, like a 20-minute test as an example, pre and post fit. I would argue that, you know, sometimes you could potentially find a position which might improve a 20-minute power in this real fixed position where you're hardly moving whatsoever but the reality of a bike race is that you aren't always in this fixed position you know you're in and out of the saddle at the end of that bike race and intra bike race there's sprints in the drops um and arguably if you do a 20 minute test you know you don't have to be in an aerodynamic position to do that if you're just looking at power you could be sat up on the tops you know and just all about leg strength basically um but then yeah as soon as you get into what would be a more favorable aerodynamic position the the power might just go completely off so um you know there's so many factors that you have to consider um and and you know again relating it to my own performance i know that for example if i'm in a if if my fit on my road bike is in the perfect position for you know a, a like say a 20 minute test to try and do as much power as I can for 20 minutes, that wouldn't necessarily feel good for, you know, an all out 30 yeah. second sprint or yeah, all, or five hours. Um, yeah. So, so yeah. there's a lot of, a lot of considerations there. And I think I, I, I remember a few years ago now, I, I remember reading something with a, I think it was what, I think it was during one of the, one of the Zwift academies that was one of the, uh, one of the guys who does a lot of Zwift racing, he was talking about the way he sets his bike up, and it's basically saddle right forward, saddle right up, ride mm -hmm. on top of it, you know, ride re really short, really upright, basically just as you said, like it, you know, a leg press. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, and is that going to translate to the outside? No, it's not. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that look, the data and the power numbers, and you know, it's a, it's a fairly muddy fairly muddy picture that um and i think it's it's always difficult to you know you i think you endeavor not, in, not to not to take power away from people that's always that's always a, that's always a good start but i think you know the, the way the way you the way you produce the power and the way you deliver the power you know that's that 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 that's just as important or more important than actually what's the number on you know what's the number on your yeah. on your head unit you know mm. that's um that's interesting yeah mm. what um in terms of the clients that come to you is there any um general themes like is there some is there anything where you could say the majority of people are getting this wrong and it's something that you often have to change I think it, yeah, D difficult to generalize, mm. in my opinion, <laughs> mm. um, and I'll preface it with that, but I think in my opinion, a, a lot of people have the seat too high. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I think for for various reasons, not least kind of the the stuff that you can actually buy in the shops, I think a lot of people are the cleats too far forward. Um, but the seat height is probably is probably the the, the one mm-hmm. if you have to, if you ask me to pick. Um, because I think I'm not quite sure why it is. I think it's sometimes you know the idea of you know because everyone talks about leg extension, and I think you, you kind of people get lured down the route of you know that triple extension, that hip knee ankle, um, which is a very very powerful push, mm. and and I think it feels you know if you're just stamping that pedal down with your quad and extending all three joints then i think that feels very powerful mm. um and certainly on the flat road um it feels very powerful um but there are consequences and difficulties associated with that probably which are probably too detailed to go into now but um uh, uh, yeah and i'd say saddle too high probably is the is mm-hmm. the is the overarching if you if you ask me to pick one but that's not everyone you know, mm. that's that's not everyone by a long chalk. Mm. I've fallen foul to the saddle too high scenario before, um, like years and years ago when I was quite new into it. Um, and looking back at videos or photos of me riding, it's horrible to see. But um, often for people who are in that position, it's quite hard to tell sometimes because sometimes you don't necessarily rock on your saddle too much. No. You don't necessarily hyperextend your knee. Um, you've not necessarily got any pain anywhere. But one thing that I was doing, which a lot of people do, like the body is a master of adaption, isn't it? And and ultimately, you know, the body's very clever. And it know the body knows that if you were to hyperextend your knee in a pedaling stroke, it would it would cause injury. So it finds other ways around that, doesn't it? And um the way I was like adapting to it is I was essentially just excessively pointing my toe at the bottom of the pedal stroke. Um and I used to get like sounds ridiculous now why i didn't know at the time it's blimey but i used to get like cramps in my calves because my calves are like overworking to try and get this extension at the bottom of the pedal stroke um, and that's something i see a lot of the time you know when people come in with a saddle height that's too high uh you know one of the main things that they do before anything else is yeah just just excessively point their toe to try and get that extension um and and you know overworking certain certain muscles um and actually it's, you know, after a few stages, you know, then they start to rock a little bit on the saddle and get saddle sores and so on. And, uh, you know, right at the end of that, then you see that ex- hyperextension at the knee or, or full extension at the knee. Um, is there anything else that you feel like people are typically doing wrong and could maybe improve? What What's your stance on, um, I guess people are coming around to the fact now, but you know, maybe five years or so ago, it was trendy to have an absolutely slammed stem, negative degree angle stem. Um, what's your stance on that? Like, uh, have a lot of people got that you see actually got way too aggressive position for what they should be in? Or I think not as much as I probably saw five years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if you look, if you look at World Tour, I think probably you know if you look at Roglic, Pogaccia, Pidcock, you know those kind of rides those positions are pretty neutral you know mm-hmm. there's still the odd you know every bike fitter's favorite van der Poel and van Vluten, you know those 
you look at those and they may be less neutral. Um, but I think generally, and we're, we're kind of going away from, look, if you've got the hinge, if you can hinge at the hip and you can keep the spine neutral and you can get to the front of the bike, then I will happily put you on a 14 centimetre stem slammed. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I did, I did one on Monday where we had, a, I think we had a minus 17 stem on, you know, and that, that worked perfectly well. Um, but it's not the, the idea that putting a 14 centimetre minus 12 or minus 10 or minus 17 and will make you inverted commas aero is nonsense. You don't even look, and I think people are people have cottoned on to that. And you've only got to look at if you look at work, if you look at world two or TT bikes, you know, mm. or even you go down the go down to the dual carriageway going into. The whole and messing on the day, limping down there, and you know, everyone's come, everyone, you know, because that is more aero. Mm-hmm. You know. I am, um, yeah, I'm, Jumper. I am actually one of those who has, sorry, can you still hear me, James? You I just can cut still, off. You are still there. Yeah, you just cut off a bit then. You're just about back. Is your signal okay at your end? It, yeah, it seems to be. It's just a bit glitchy, that's oh, all. Yeah. Um, yeah, I am one of those who does have um, an incredibly aggressive drop. Um, I do work a lot on my hip hinge in the gym. Um, and it's something that I was going to have a discussion with you about, actually, because I am curious to know someone else's opinion on it. Um Many people comment on my drop saying that it just looks ridiculous. I, I am an individual who has gotten a very long leg. For, so, so for my height, I've got an incredibly long leg. So I'm on a large size TCR um, with the seat pin more or less fully extended. Um, and I've still slammed my sl- stem, got a negative uh, 12 uh, degree stem on at 140 mil length. And it does look, you know, pretty um, pretty aggressive. I think it's something like a 220 mil drop between seat yeah. and, and bars. Um, big big, big but, number, that. But it's something that I've raced on that now, that exact setup for four years. Um, and I feel like I could actually go longer if I wanted to. I am always holding at the top of the hoods. I'm able to drop my elbows down so that they are um you know horizontal to the ground when i'm racing for long periods of time um and i feel comfortable in doing so i don't feel any tightness um and uh yeah i'm by no means necessarily doing it for aesthetics although i do like the the slam stem look still i'm quite old school in that regard but i would like to and and it's something i was going to discuss with you i know i I inquired a few months ago didn't i about getting a bike fit and uh, i do intend to actually come down because i'd love to you know, it's hard to do a bike fit on yourself and uh, I'd love to get someone else's opinion on it um, and and see what you had. I, I feel like I'm... The other thing to mention as well, though, is my, this is just a conversation about my own bike fit now, but yeah, carry the, other thing that I've got, <laughs> the, other, the other thing that I've got is that my my seat is quite far forward on the on the rails. I quite like quite um, a position which is quite far forward and, and, and aggressive in that in that manner. So yeah, it'd be good to get 
someone else's opinion on it um, and see what's going on and, and how it looks from your perspective. Look, I think um, just that you know that's a if it's two if it's two twenty from top of seat to top of bar that's a big number, isn't it? You know, right. But do, does it mean it's wrong? No, it doesn't mean it's wrong. But I think look, it's about it's about nature of event and purpose of bike. And I think if you're you know because you do a lot of crits, hmm. so if you're rushing around any day for five minutes or an hour, yeah. you know, is that is that sustainable for that length of time? Well clearly yeah. is um would it would it feel great if you were if you were racing for five hours or four hours i don't yeah, know that's, that's um, the question. That, yeah. but, but it's and it, looking it's always about the purpose of the bike you know yeah. whatever whether it's racing or whether it's riding or whether it's gravel racing or whether it's mountain bike you know actually what are you you know what are you going to use this bike for mm. And and how do we want it to behave, and how do we, how do we want you to interact with it? You know, what's what are your priorities? Because it's mm-hmm. not there isn't a well, there's there's no formulaic solution. There's no that we, we are not pre-programmed with a natural solution to the problem. Mm-hmm. You know, if you go because you do some running, don't you? I do some mm-hmm. running. Mm-hmm. You know, if we go if if we kind of put on a, you know you can argue whether putting on a pair of vapor flies and kind of trotting off on some tarmac is is a natural movement but mm. if i put on a pair of trail shoes and go and run in the woods that the body is pre-programmed with the solution to the problem mm. when you get on a bike there's no pre-programmed solution mm. so there is not there is not a, a quote right way or mm. a wrong way to do it there are just different answers to the question Mm-hmm. Um, and if that's you know, it sounds like you've gone down the Adam Hansen route, you know, to kind of you know a lot of weight, a lot of weight on the pedal, you know, very low front end. That's you know, that's that's one solution to the problem. Mm-hmm. Is it is it is it functional for the event? Yes. Would it be functional for a for a different event? Mm-hmm. Don't know. You, yeah. you 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 know you know you know the answer to that, and, and maybe we'll maybe we'll kick that one around between us one day. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. <laughs> Um, <clears throat> let's get into the, the questions, James. So uh, some of my listeners have submitted some questions and I've selected six here, which are appropriate. Before we get into that, I've got a question for you, actually. Um, something that um, comes up in some of my bike fit. Oh, no, it's something that I saw on one of your Instagram posts actually and i did i must admit i didn't read the full thing i think you gave a bit of an answer on the post um but it was a video of somebody riding from the back quite close up of their saddle and they were slightly sat off to one side yeah now it's something that we come across quite a lot in bike fits um what are like a list of reasons as to why this might be um, um opening a can of worms there yeah, yeah um yeah. and yeah like what are your routes to try and solve that problem that, that is a can of worms um i think look from a you can break it down into space so the seat's too high less likely the seat's too low but the seat could be too low the bike's too long too much drop you know, all those things that destabilize the pelvis, because what you're basically looking at is a pelvis that's not that's not stable, that's not aligned. Um, saddle that's too narrow, not enough foot, not enough foot separation. I feet too close together, cleats too far forward. You know, it, it can be not enough foot support. You know, collapsed arch in one foot, 
high arch in the other foot, you know, leg length discrepancy, pelvic asymmetry, all that stuff. And I, I, <laughs> I think it's, I kind of, we all see those, crank length. Mm. Um, you know, I think we all see those and there isn't a, there isn't an overwhelming answer. You know, I think it, it is, sometimes it's lots of little things, sometimes it's one big thing. Mm. Um, but they are the ones that, yeah, they are the ones that are hard to unravel sometimes. And sometimes it's just, you know, look, if you've got, if you've got a really, really poor range of movement in your right hip mm. and your left hip is relatively free, you're going to be clunky on the bike, mm -hmm. you know? And I think sometimes it's just, you know, we do what we can and then you have to do what you have to go away and you have to work on it mm. with, with, with the appropriate advice because mm. there are no shortcuts. Mm. You know, you, I just think of it, you know, if you've got asymmetry, it's like a, it's like a rucksack that you carry around with you. You know, it's, you're wearing it when you're off the bike and when you climb on the bike, you don't leave mm. it behind, you take it with you and then you're yeah. fastening yourself to a symmetrical object. So why would it, why would we expect anything good to happen? Mm. Um, I've had it before where um, with a client, and I must admit, like, uh, I don't have the facilities to look at um, uh, things like their asymmetry in leg length with too much depth or, you know, looking at, their foot specific footbeds and things like that but um i think what we actually drill it down to with a lot of questioning is the fact that this individual a few years ago had a horrifically bad saddle saw which lasted ages and uh over time they'd adapted by riding one side to try and alleviate the pressure of this yeah. saddle saw and then it was kind of ingrained in their the way that they pedal and they've just even though the saddle saw has gone they're still pedaling slightly to one side and they're favoring that side um so it just shows you know how how um how clever the body is and how that can sometimes work against you okay so question number one um crank length um seems like a lot of people recently are going shorter in crank lengths why is this what's your take on it and is there anything to consider? There's lots to consider. Um, <laughs> I think, look, the number number one is that the, the 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 you know you crank some mechanical lever, so a longer lever, more efficient. Think big spanner, tight nut, you know, versus a small spanner on the same nut, you know, big spanner all all day long. Um, mm -hmm. The difference is that you don't have to turn the big spanner fifty thousand times a week. Um, the lever length should be proportionate to the space. So if you if you're you know if you're 150 centimeters tall, as a couple of my riders are who are probably listening to this, um, then a 165 crank's too long. Mm. You know if you're you know two meters tall, then is a 175 going to work? Yeah, it probably is. Um, and I think you know, if you and going going off into the weeds a bit, you know, if you if you look at if you took, a, I'm pretty sure that if you took anthropometric data from all the from all from the entire world to a peloton, you would find that you know there are, we all know some short riders for sure, but I think generally those riders are bigger and can all use a longer lever, mm. you know, because it, because it's a more efficient way of moving the bike. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. um, I think in terms of what you 
look, you, you use short cranks for, so for proportionality, for poor hip function, you know, if you've got really, really tight hips, then they help. If you want to be really aero, TT bike, um, they really help. If you are, I've got tall riders riding short cranks because they can get a flat back in a very, very aero position and the short crank allows them to produce power in that position. You know, so it's not, and they've got excellent hip function. So it's not like where well, you've, got, you've got a short crank because you've got shit hips. It's, you can have fantastic hips and the short crank still works for you because you can get the hinge, because you can get your back flat, because you can get your forearms flat on the top of the bar. Um, I think for, well, it's a shorter lever, so it is less efficient. And for high torque situations, so mountain biking, cross, then then you start to get into more of a debate about whether you just go short, you know, if, unless you need, unless you really need it for, for that kind of proportional aspect mm. how you be you know because if, the problem is if you're really short and you've got a very small space and then you've got a long lever every time you come over the top of the pedal stroke you're really killing you killing yourself trying to get over you know try to get through top dead center mm. um i think for uk racing if we're talking about racing look for, for non-maximal efforts then you can go as short as you want without any com without any consequence in my mm. opinion if you're talking about racing for uk racing there are not certainly on the road there aren't that many uk races where you require that where the torque really comes into play because you're not talking about the top of the angle area in in the world or the top of you know top of zoncolon where mm. everyone everyone's on the limit you know in the smallest gear you know, it's the, the the gradients aren't that severe, and, and most of the you know most of the racing, you don't, it's not the torque that's the key factor. Um, and even if and even if it was, if the lever's really disproportionate in length, then you've still got to lug it around for three hours before you get the before you get the benefit from it. So mm. where does where does the cost benefit analysis lie in that? And again, you've got to test it. You can't. There isn't a number you can put to it. And you can't decide one hundred percent in a fit studio. You need to do mm. need to do the work on the road with that lever, mm. and then make a decision. But generally, uh, shorter is if if you're in doubt, go shorter rather than longer because you'll get less consequence. Mm. My testing method was: I've always run one seven fives. I stuck on a one seven two point five. And it felt crap after one ride, <laughs> so I, so I went back to one seven fives again and stuck with that ever since. Um, but um, I yeah, probably should have given it more time to to figure it out. But I didn't didn't have the time or didn't want to spend the time on it. So, but yeah, I mean, it just just shows the need for a bike fit and 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 to try it over 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 time. Um, question number two: um, With cleat positions moving moving backwards. Will the shoe manufacturers catch up? That <laughs> uh, um, they are. I think they are starting to catch up. They are starting to catch up. Look, I think you've you've got a. There's a bit of a chicken and egg situation here because all the shoe manufacturers, apart from probably Bont, use well, even Bont to some extent, but they all use a curved last. You know, if you look at the front of your shoe, the last is curved. And all the pedal manufacturers, so Speedplay, Luxemano, all make a pedal with a curved base. 
so you need mm. a curved last. So what came first? I don't know. But I think that the point is that if you if you want to go, you know, if we decided and I don't and I and I don't make this decision but I don't make this decision at all really. I've done a couple but it's not something I'm in favour of generally. But if you want to go midfoot, then just the shape of the shoe and the shape of the cleat make that make that very difficult to achieve, you know, without mm. some sort of adapter or without make creating a flat surface in the middle of the shoe where you can put a speed play pedal. Um the manufacturers are catching up the physique stuff, which physique have gone from having the most ridiculous under your toes cleat position to actually on some of the shoes now you can get them a long way back. Um specialised pretty good, although I wish they'd do away with those pop out washers and just put things in a slot that you can slide backwards and forwards. Mm -hmm. Shimano pretty good, Bont pretty good, um, Giro pretty good. You know, everyone's coming back. Um so yes, they are catching up is the short answer to the question. As a bike fitter, do you have a preferred pedal manufacturer? Shimano. Mm -hmm. Why is that? Um, size of platform um, and associated stability, cost, mm -hmm. qu and quality of quality of the actual pedal and the cleat. You know, durability. Um, and you can obviously get, you know, you can get, a, you can get, a, it's only two, it's only two, two widths, but you can get a long axle and a short axle. Mm -hmm. um, speed play, sometimes if you really need, you know, if you, if you need a lot of, if you need a lot of healing, a lot. Um, so you need a long axle and to be able to get the, get the float in quite an unusual place, then speed play good. Um, mm -hmm. better for smaller and lighter riders um, look I, I only really think of two good reasons to use look and one is if you're using there's a you know, so Favero make the Asioma pedal which is probably the best power meter based pedal based power meter system um, and it uses a look cleat so if you want Asiomas then by all means go for your life the other the other advantage is they are pretty loose. They feel pretty loose under the foot. The, the float's not centered like Shimano is. So if you if you need a little bit more movement and or you don't like the feeling of being really, really rigidly fastened to the bike and you want to be able to get out easily, then you can go for look. But I see so many people with look pedals who were kind of who've just been on looks for years because they probably came off deltas about the same time I did, you know, the old the, the, the old giant pedal with the triangular cleat and mm. we all came off deltas and because we'd used look, we went to look, mm. you know. Um, it, but I, I think Shimano is, is the one unless you have a problem with the system. Saddle saws, main cause. This is, uh, again, I, I would assume is a bit of a can of worms scenario. Um, is there anything Seat that... to Seat to eye, yeah. I was going to say the same thing. Nice and Seat nice, quick answer. You, you, you're right. It can, it can be. It could be ten things, but mm. you see, it's probably too high. Mm. Um, how much are positional issues the fault of the bike and kit manufacturers? Probably less than they used to be. You know, I think if you, I think if you look at the difference 
instinctively, if you look at the difference between a race bike and a endurance road bike 10 years ago, mm. and then you look at the difference between those two bikes now in terms of stack and reach, I think you may find that the, the, the gap is smaller. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the bike industry is... Is that because race bikes have got... Well, yeah, race bikes have probably... Yeah, it's probably not the endurance bikes getting more yeah. race. It's the race bikes getting more endurance. Yeah, and, yeah, um, yeah. You know, and, the, and the kind of acceptance that, that actually that kind of having your arms outstretched and doing a arm plank for six yeah. hours is probably not conducive to high performance. Yeah. Um, so I think the gap's narrowed. I think the... If I'm being honest, those difficult conversations that I have which don't happen very often, but the ones where you get the bike and the ride and the two and the two things don't go together, and you have to say, actually, this is this doesn't yeah. work, and it's not going to work no matter how much you stretch or how mm. many side leg raises you do or hamstring stretches. It's just yeah. not going to work. Um, I, I think those are sometimes probably fifty-fifty, probably fifty-fifty. The rider buying things online because it's cheap i've seen a few of them oh well it was four grand off yeah but you get no hands after mm. half an hour mm. um and 50 50 the the retailers mm-hmm. selling inappropriate shaped bikes mm. not normally wrong size wrong shape mm-hmm. and again i'm not privy to those conversations that they have with the with the customers mm. You know, because if you go in and you're desperate to spend, you know, six grand on a Ferrari and you, they want you to have a Ford Mondeo, then mm. I don't know. I don't know who wins that argument because at the end of the day, they're yeah. trying to sell a bike. Um, yeah, yeah. But I think, you know, I think the biking, the the you know, the manufacturer and the product selection is good now. Mm. Um, but I think the, the some people sometimes people make the wrong decisions. Whether that's off their own bat or on the bat, back of indifferent advice, mm-hmm. I quite i i really um, <clears throat> i really condone my local bike shop. Well, not my local bike shop, a certain bike shop that I've got good associations with called Viva Lavello in uh, near Hull, yeah, yeah, <clears throat> in North Ferriby. They, um, I remember when I was in there one day, uh, I was just chatting to the owner, and a customer came in. And they said, this customer said to the owner, they said, oh, I'm looking at a new bike. I'm looking at one of these. I'm looking at, a, at the time it was a giant Propel. And it was like a five grand bike. And he was like, I'm looking at one of these for my first first ever road bike. And Ed is just straight to the point. He won't, you know, won't talk shit. Like he could have had a five grand sale there and then. And he said, why on earth do you want one of them? <laughs> you know, it was like. He said, trust me, you don't want one of them. You don't he want said, one of them. No. Look at these instead. <laughs> look at these instead. They're um it was a giant defy and it was about two grand. Um and he said, for your first road bike, that's exactly what you want. Like he he took off three grand off what he could have got sale wise there, but he knows that that customer would have had so much better experience with his cycling. And he knows that you know the honesty with regards to that that sale was there, so he's more likely to be a returning customer and so on. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, it will happen all over the 
all of the country where you know someone will come in and it's all upsell 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 you know to these i think i think what you've just said highlights the yeah highlights the importance of a good local bike shop yeah yeah definitely look a lot of what we're a lot of the stuff that we've talked around to the 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 word that we haven't used is is the word trust Mm. you know um because that's really important in what i do and it's really important in the situation that you've just yeah. described and i think mm-hmm. you know if you're buying online then it's kind of buyer beware in it i think you yeah. know um yeah carry on next um next question that to be fair there was three questions which all basically asked the same thing um and i want you to ask it in a very basic uh way they're basically asking how you work out the correct saddle height now Obviously, it's quite a very, very in-depth procedure for you and I. And there's a few angles and there's a lot of feedback and there's trial and error and so on. But is there anything go to, you know, if someone just wants to quickly try it at home um, just to see if it's there or thereabouts? Is there any kind of things which right. are quite easy to do? I, I, so I judge, I judge seat height. And I think this is, yeah, look, just because I don't measure, because I, I, I don't measure any angle, I haven't done that for quite a few years mm-hmm. i think but that doesn't mean i'm guessing you know it doesn't mean i'm guessing um i think i look at the edges of the movement so how are you interacting with the saddle you know um and what are your feet doing and i think at the saddle you need to be able to sit centrally you know you need to be sat centrally longitudinally centrally laterally you need to have moderate pressure and you need to be able to put torque into the bike whilst maintaining all those qualities so if your hip starts dropping off to one side, there's something wrong. Now, are you always aware of that? No. But if you think about your saddle contacting, your saddle pressure, that will give you a clue. At the foot, you just need to be able to keep control of your movement. You know, you need to be able to keep the weight on the pedal because you try to shift weight using your foot. You know, and so you need to be able to keep the force on the pedal all the way through the pedal stroke. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And you need to better control your movement. And this is the important one. Whilst you're sat in the middle of the seat, laterally, longitudinally, your feet need to be able to do the same thing. Unless you have pelvic tilt, pelvic asymmetry, leg length discrepancy, all that stuff. But the fundamentals are that you need to be able to sit in the, sit in the middle, put torque into the bike. Feet need to be able to do the same movement. You know, that's, that's kind of what I'm looking for. That's the first answer. The second answer, if you want a ballpark, heel on pedal mm-hmm. still works you know it, it will look i've seen i've certainly seen kind of fits that have been done by motion capture mm. where the seat's 50 mil too high mm. and you, you you don't you don't even if you just do heel on pedal you don't get that yeah yeah you that's a very good but, point but but you need to be in control and i, I think you know fundamentally you don't you know, if you set your seat height for end range, you know, so you, you kind of get on the and you, and you push it to the absolute limit where you kind of you're right on the verge of losing control. If you do that on the Tuesday, end range will be different on Wednesday. It'll be different at eight o'clock mm. and five o'clock. It'll be different on Thursday, and you just you, you kind of sat on this tightrope, and at some point you're just going to keep falling off, and seat will mm. feel too high, seat will feel too low. So I think you need, you know, you'll every, you know, everyone who's trying to 
ride a bike fast is try to get everything out. Mm. But I think don't go too near to the edge. Mm. You know, step back from the edge because it's always most people can ride. Well, everyone can ride in a much bigger range than they probably think they can. Mm. You know, um, but so don't go too near to the edge. Just come back mm. into a nice neutral movement where everything's mm. smooth and you've got some margin for error, so that when you've not slept right or your kids have been up or you've done mm. six hours a day before or you've sat in the car for four hours or you've been on the train or you've been at your desk for 10 hours you know when you've done all that mm. stuff you have some margin forever the last question is the difference between road bike and cross bike say cross bike fits um is there any kind of go-to discrepancies so same person virtually the same well it won't be the same but similar geometry of bike um is uh, there anything like obvious changes probably a, a little bit short a little bit higher mm -hmm. um seat maybe a little bit lower but the, i always think of that as being cost specific you know because mm. if you look at if you look at yorkshire point summer cross you know and you go to thorns park or whatever it is where mm. you know where it's kind of you know flat pretty flat pretty grass say pretty fast you know if, you, if you're doing these crit on grass races mm. basically then same reach to pedal you've got on your road mm. bikes fine if you're doing you know if you're doing something that's got a lot of single track a lot of mm. steep ups and downs and you need to be a you need to be more agile on the bike you need to be able to shift your weight more then mm. knock a bit off your seat but i think generally yeah. a little bit shorter and a little bit higher just to because just to speed up the handling and keep keep more away in front, mm. but but none of that's you're not talking to quantify that you're not to, you know if you're kind of talking about a kind of fifty six centimeter frame with a kind of five foot mm. eleven ride run you're not talking about three centimeters shot you're talking about mm. ten mil <laughs> you know it's, yeah, yeah. small yeah. differences I think just to just to kind of moderate things a little bit yeah definitely yeah. I think, um, yeah, I, I personally like to run saddle height about uh, three or four mil low on my cross bike. Um, and for me, it's because not necessarily the agile component, although that will definitely play its part. But a lot of it is like if, you, if you're riding over like seriously rough terrain, you'll yeah, subconsciously yeah, yeah. kind yeah. of like hover on your saddle yeah, a little yeah, bit. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's account to account for that um let's wrap things up there because we've been talking for an hour and 20 minutes and Big i think up. we've covered a lot of bases um thank you very much for coming on the podcast um we've covered a, a, a lot there um we we came into this podcast with no massive script and it was nice just to talk <laughs> pretty generally no plan um, whatsoever Thanks no that's it. Me. <laughs> um and yeah a bit of a thing i i mean after this conversation, I am going to book in with you for a bike fit because even if we don't change too much, I would love to just have that conversation. And I think over time I've noticed, like, for example, the other day, it's only it's literally happened once. I've never had any knee issues, but the other day I came out from a ride and I did actually have some like front of knee pain. And I was like, well, what on earth caused that? Because never had a problem with my knees in my lifetime before. So I was like, oh, well, maybe I am. There is something different. And I have actually noticed, actually, 
that I, when I look down, when I'm going hard, I feel like one of my knees is definitely closer to the, uh, to the crossbar than the other, uh, top tube. Sorry. Sorry. Um, so yeah, so peace of mind, I want to get things sorted so that nothing else, uh, I think comes up. Um, if someone is interested or wants to get in touch, where can they contact you? So you can find me on Instagram. I am fit to ride bike fit. Um, you can find my website, which is www.fit2ride.cc. Um, yeah, or you can find And I'll put all those links. I'll, I'll be on Facebook somewhere and you can put all those links there and I'm sure someone yeah. will find me if they need me. Yeah, thank I'll you. put all those links in the show notes as well. Um, thank you very much, James. And I've, I've enjoyed that, Tom. Thank you. Thanks for the invitation.